0: Hello and welcome to the Sports Loft Podcast. Today we have an excellent conversation lined up about personalization in sports uh, and we are particularly pleased to be joined by two heavyweights uh, in the area. Uh, First of all, I'd like to welcome uh, Alexandra Willis, the Head of Communications, Content and Digital at Wimbledon. Alexandra, welcome to the Sports Loft
1: Podcast. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Excellent. And uh, I'd also like to introduce Nick Pinks, the founder and CEO of CoVatic, a Sportsloft member. Uh, Nick, welcome to the Sportsloft podcast.
2: Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So for those of you who are interested in following us, please go to sportsloft.co and uh, sign up to our newsletter or uh, follow this podcast uh, anywhere that you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at SportsloftHQ uh, and send us any feedback that you have on this uh, this podcast or any of the others. Uh, but today we're going to be diving into the um, very interesting world of personalization in sports uh, and uh, what that means uh, and how technology is used to achieve the best results in those. So um, I'll bring uh, Alex in first. Um, Alex, tell us who you are, what you do, and how you use personalization and what it means to you for Wimbledon
1: well thanks so much Yanni and and what a place to start um so in terms of of what I do I think our our general aspiration is is to make sure that Wimbledon the tennis tournament that is um continues to occupy a a place in people's lives amidst all of this change that we're all living through um both pre-pandemic and and post-pandemic um, by that I essentially mean that it, it maintains its its relevance, um, that, that people believe that Wimbledon is for them and that it has meaning for them amidst everything else that they're they're trying to manage and, and juggle. And in many ways that that speaks to exactly what personalization is, I think. Um it means something that is that is personal and, and relevant to you and that makes sense. Uh, amidst uh, everything that you're trying to to think about and juggle, whether that's family, work, profession, escapism, uh, culture, TV, um, whatever it might be. And one of the things that I was thinking about recently is how how you, if you were thinking about best practice personalisation, is it something that just happens without you really knowing? Or is it something that you actively do and choose to do? um you know for example do do you want to just be surrounded by everything that that you know and love and like or do you want to actually have to work to get there to make it something that you know and, and love and like and I think that tension no doubt we'll, we'll talk about it and, and Nick will uh, reveal to us exactly how how that all works um but but not not making it too easy and straightforward that people have lost the fact that it's personal to them and relevant to them hmm. uh, is something that we're thinking about a lot.
0: Great. Well, that's certainly a lot of interesting stuff to dive into. So let me bring in Nick as well. Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about you, how you founded Covatic and what it is that Covatic does exactly in terms of personalization within the sports and entertainment industry?
2: Oh, thank you so much. And, and Alex, I'm I, I think looking forward to this conversation because I, I couldn't agree more with, with your, your views on personalization. I think there's going to be a really interesting discussion around that. Um, my background was actually the BBC and uh, Wimbledon was actually where Cavatic started. Um, I was working on the broadcast uh, one, one year which coincided with Glastonbury and uh, I was working with the radio team and Glastonbury was obviously going to be the big hitter that weekend. And it really wasn't, and it caused a real confusion. Uh, why was Wimbledon doing so much better? And it sort of dawned on us pretty quickly that it's because Wimbledon has this ability to get caught in the sport and then spending the day with it. It's very magical in that way. Um, and the way we were presenting delivering Glastonbury online, it was very you know dependent on on a gig on a set, and then it stopped, and then people had to do something. And then come back to it, and that probably wasn't great for the user experience. And what dawned on me there was you know, we were looking at how does a broadcaster, a sports brand, a content provider engage with their users. And as you said so eloquently, it's you know brands having a place in people's lives, um, and uh, you know making sure it suits your lifestyle. What's going on? And it occurred to me that the state of the art. Back a few years ago, in personalization, really was recommendation, and it was based on I've seen this, you've seen that, we've both seen the same thing, therefore I'll provide this to you. But none of that involves what's going on in my lifestyle. And it's how do we get to a place where an industry, we can engage with people's lives to provide to them that fantastic experience that they love. And So being an engineer, obviously technology can solve this problem. It's a very straightforward mass issue, right? Everything is it's not um, So we started Covatic four years later um, We we we're coming to market with this idea and and it, it's all stemmed from that original uh, uh, early mornings uh, view of um, <laughs> Engagement of why Wimbledon beating us. Um, so it's a real pleasure to be here today to talk about it
0: so um... I'm very interested to hear from from both of you, and uh, in particular, Alex, I'll start with you. What are the benefits of personalization? So, you know, we talk about what it is, you know, we talk about having an engagement with an audience and being able to uh, serve them something at the right time or something that is particularly personal to them, but what are the benefits of it and how do you measure that in your role to ensure that you're getting the best out of it?
1: So I think thinking, thinking about the user first, um, and the user sounds so functional. So uh, you know, we, we like to refer to our, our fans, our audiences as guests. Mm. Um, but I think, you know, maybe one way of talking about them as well is people. You know, we're all people. So thinking about people, um, personalisation, I, I think, has by and large two benefits. The first one is, is a functional one, which is efficiency. Help me find what I want, what's relevant to me more quickly rather than sending me round several roundabouts or rabbit holes in order to, to get there. And um, back to Nick's point, I think this is really where recommendations started to make such a difference because, you know, based on your, your history, you know, we think you're looking for tickets for something or we think you're looking for the, for the schedule or whatever it might be. But I think the second benefit um, which is the more powerful one, arguably, is is emotion. And that comes back to this idea of, of meaning and, and relevance. Help help me, help give me something that, that is going to generate an, an emotional reaction for me. Because it's easy to forget that, that sport is a passion. Sport is something that is meant to be fun. Sport is something that is meant to be escapism. It, it's not needing to interact with your banking app or um needing to work out how you're you're booking a flight and so that kind of twin twin uh you know two pillars of of, of functional efficiency but also letting the emotion kind of shine to the, the top um is is really important and again i'm obviously speaking personally as as a human thinking about myself but, but other people would have different different reactions and i think the the third benefit which is the the benefit to the the property the rights holder the brand the company whoever it might be is relationship and and whether you're at the beginning of a relationship and you're trying to bring somebody in or you're in the middle of the relationship and you're doing the wooing and the dancing or you're or you're in the retention phase of the relationship which is wanting it to go on for forever and ever you need both it needs to be additive in terms of making your life easier and um, you know the world around us has changed all based on making our lives easier and making them more efficient and more practical, but also it needs to have that that sense of emotion and that and that sense of personal relevance, so that it's it's occupying you know without repeating ourselves, it's, it's occupying a place in your life that if you had to choose, you would keep it going because it makes such a difference to you. Mm. And Nick, how
0: do you, we use technology? How can we use technology in order to make that a more successful journey a more impactful journey for each of the guests each of the people who are part of Alex and Wimbledon's uh, crew I love that
2: guests I think it's a really nice way of of describing and I think I, I agree you know it is about that personal engagement and engagement can mean anything it can be consumption it can be um, you know, serving strawberries on the side of the hill. Um, it can be any part of that um, relationship that you're building. And technology is a tool. Um, I hate to admit it as an engineer and a technologist, but it is really the tool. It, it's the thing that enables the thing to happen. Um, and I think that when we look at the personalization toolkit, that, that you know, we, we have it available to us, it's from the quality of the television that you're watching, the quality of the audio that you're listening to. It's the, what's on my my handset, my phone, What am I, what's the messaging coming to me? And it, it is all to do in the first piece, I think around what Alex was saying, around efficiency and ease. Whoever I am, I want it to be easy for me. That might be I like listening to it on the radio. That might be I um, only consume by, by reading text on, on a sports game depends who I am and what I'm doing. So I think the first thing about technology is that it's the availability of of that experience um, ubiquitous. It's got to be available and accessible for all. Um, And I think when you look at personalization and the concept of it, you need to make sure that whatever it is you're doing or however you're doing it, it's applicable um, to these different situations and lifestyles. Um, And then it's a... uh, Emotion becomes a really important part of the mix um, because people have got very strong emotional views on technology uh, in general. It doesn't matter what you're doing. I mean, the, the press continually, this is, this is a co- going conversation and probably will be for the rest of my lifetime. Um, you know, do tech companies know too much or too little? Do brands know too much or too little? Um, it's going to be a continual debate. Um, and I feel that, you know, technology delivered well is an incredibly satisfying experience for the individual. You know, Take it to a totally different angle. If your central heating is working, you love it. If the boiler stopped working, it's a massive disaster, right? You know, that's tech. Um, Grants an of personalization, but it is, it's absolutely the same piece. And I feel that, you know, it comes almost to that earlier point that Alex was talking about, you know, serendipity, that serendipitous experience of, oh, I just learned something really nice there. that. That was a great experience for me, Mm. which is kind of that golden age of broadcasting where the commissioners and the commentators would take you on a journey and you would go with it. Gosh, I've learned something that's really exciting and new and I'm I'm loving it. Um, To the, okay, I want to watch Wimbledon. I've got 700 different options of now getting to it. Um, And I'm now watching one here. And, oh, why have I got the result on this device here? It's come before I've seen it there. And I don't see what's going on there suddenly technology can become to go too much. And so I feel that when we talk about personalization, not only have you got to uh, really build that positive emotional engagement, a positive emotional uh, relationship between the user and, and the brand, you've also got to do it on the platform. You've got to make them feel comfortable that, you know, for one person they'll feel very comfortable putting everything online and having this experience, for another person they won't. And I think personalization has got to recognize that. And then you have a interesting question around the quality of what you get out of it mm. and, and how you can rely on it and use it so you are not end up focusing on just the few people that say yes to everything because that's not your, your entire user base.
0: So I want to talk about that a little bit because this is one of the things that's that sort of I'm challenged with a little bit. It's like how deep down do you drill? How much, at what stage is it past the point of efficiency for an organization, a rights holder, to drill down into our individual preferences and say this is exactly what's going to work to get Yanni to buy a pair of shoes through Nike ID or whatever it might be. Where's that tipping point? How do you establish that? How do you know what the right level is and how you create those tribes that you wanna that you wanna target? And you know, I'll start, Alex, give us a view of how how Wimbledon does it because you're also looking at a world where you're a two week tournament. That holds such a great place in 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 the British in the hearts of the British public, but also tennis fans. You do an incredible journey telling that telling that story. You're doing do an ing- incredible job telling that story over a full year. But how do you drill down into those tribes and really get the most out of them?
1: So I, th- I think the first thing to say is that it, it's absolutely a work in progress. Um, I I wouldn't say that we have the full picture of our, our guests in order to be able to say we've got the perfect amount of data. I think we're still we're still exploring that. Um, but one of the things that we are very conscious of is is making sure that we don't change one of our strengths into a weakness by learning too much about any one particular type of guest or type of fan. So, one of the very first things that we we did when trying to understand our audience was both deliver what we call the the street view of the audience. So, um, inviting people to join My Wimbledon, which is our personalised digital experience, and um, you know, therefore them sharing you know level of information with us, um, and at the same time trying to create what we call the kind of Google Earth view. Um, which is uh, a segmentation study, not based on directly engaged audiences, but based on people who expressed an interest in Wimbledon. Hmm. And the fascinating thing about the segmentation is that it revealed to us that we don't follow the typical model of sports fandom in that we have uh, a triangle or a pyramid or a funnel, whichever shape you want to use, from avid to passive. We actually have seven different segments based on a a motivation for being interested in Wimbledon that are more or less equal to each other in terms of the level of passion. And so as we learn more about those, those different segments, we don't want to mess up the balance by diving into the easiest to learn more about. So one of the segments, one of the primary motivations for being interested in Wimbledon is because you like tennis, unsurprisingly. Um, surprisingly, perhaps, it's not one of our biggest segments, um, uh, but it's, it is it is that they are the people who are the most engaged. And so you could easily see a world where they are hungry to share information with us. We are hungry to get information from them. Um, and we're, we're almost changing our experience for the benefit of them, but not the benefit of everybody. And I think being candid, the way that we put together our our digital platforms and the statistics and scoring and the level of information that we have has been traditionally very weighted towards those tennis fans. It's about breakpoints and conversions and momentum shifts and forehand and backhand, when the majority of our fans don't actually know the players that we're talking about they're in a different segment. They're in the sports fan segment where they love Wimbledon because it's a great sports event and they've heard of Roger Federer and Serena Williams, but they don't know the difference between breakpoint conversion and you know, backhand slice, as, mm. as, as an example. So I'm slightly straying off your question here a little bit, but in terms yeah. of establishing how deep you go, it's really important that you, you keep an eye on your breadth at the same time. And that you're not building a, a skewed picture um, as as you do it, and ultimately, it's then about what you do with it. So, you know, many many of us have have been, um, you know, given reports and oh, you know, isn't this interesting? And and then all of a sudden it goes in a you know digital drawer and you you forget about it and you don't put it into practice. Hmm. So, how deep you go or how much you learn is only as good as what you do with it. And, and how you then test it and see if it was actually an anomaly based on something that, that you know, an extenuating factor or whether it's actually a piece of, of useful information. Mm. Um, and particularly for Wimbledon as an event that sits in a calendar of other events that change and, 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 and flex depending on, on the year, um, being, being aware of those contextual factors is really important.
0: Mm. So that point about what you do with it is 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 really fascinating to me, right? Because clearly the best commercial um, or marketing outcome for an organization uh, is going to come if you identify uh, a segment and then identify what you want to do with them and how you want to engage with them. Um, and if it comes to that, how you want to try to monetize that segment, right? So, Nick, I wonder if you can... Give us some examples of, of either clients or people that you've worked with who've done a really good job of understanding what the data and the personalization is telling them, and then converted that into a campaign or a revenue opportunity or whatever it might be that has driven direct results.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, um, I have a couple of examples we can. Talk, talk about, but before we go to the, to the specific examples, I think what will be really helpful is to to view the world from a slightly different angle. Mm. Um, and this is, to be very blunt, this is Kovatic's approach. Mm. Um, and one of the biggest challenges that um, mark, the function marketing function has when you look at this sort of data is sparsity of data. Um, and it's the old Rumsfeld unknown unknowns issue, you don't know what you don't know, um, the, the problem is that the people who provide us data, we know. And we think that's who are many other people alike. And so then we create segments of that. And unfortunately, inherently, that approach is flawed. Because as we know, the people who give us the most amount of data um, are often not don't often make up the largest portion of our audience user base. It would be just the people who are the highest engaged, often the smallest amount, though they have some of the biggest impact. So you're absolutely right when you talk about, you know, how do you use that? Uh, you know, what, what does personalization give us and how can we actually use that to drive engagement, or drive people up that value chain? And um, I would say in the context of what we were talking about earlier, where really effective personalization is not just based on consumption it is based on understanding and engaging with people's lifestyles, then I would argue that the data that we collect today isn't quite suitable. And the approach that we take with segmentation itself is also probably not that great. It gets us to a starting point, absolutely. But a segment inherently um, is, is too broad brush. To, to engage an individual. So we have a really nasty challenge here because I've got this idea, this concept, and if I was to define any segment and I was to ask you, know, do you sit inside this segment? You might be close to it, you might not be close to it, but it certainly won't be you. Um, but we have just said that it's really important to engage on a personal level and engage to build that relationship, to court them, to get them up the value chain, to create that long lasting relationship that could end up in a monetized position. So how can we do this? Um, and Kvatic's approach has been about deploying technology on platforms that allow you to compute and build models that you can ask questions about. So we can learn about somebody's lifestyle while they're consuming and when they're not consuming. We can work out when's the best time to engage with them and then you can use that segmentation information that you've got at the, the higher level to say, right, you know, we've got these seven camps of people which are important to us. And you might be a tennis lover. But does that mean you play? You've got a coach. Does that mean that you go and watch tennis? Does that mean that you used to play but you don't anymore? And, and what's the impact of that for you and, and your Wimbledon experience? Um, and you can only answer that on an individual basis okay, so great, I now need to collect a vast amount of data. I've got to process this on an individual basis. I've got to try and build strategies on an individual basis. That's starting to feel like quite hard work working well um, and probably not, not scalable. So you've got to really use tech in a distributed way. And, and obviously people will say, well, AI is the way to do it. And I would argue that a flavor of AI can help. It's certainly not the answer. It's not the silver bullet that you just pop this thing and it sorts it out but you can use your segmentation information to build your strategy, your engagement rules, and then you have to use that approach on an individual basis. So, when I talk about examples of things that are going really well or clients who are looking at this, we've got a radio client at the moment who's done a fantastic amount of work over the last year, like Alex and Wimbledon, to understand their segments, who's important and who's not important, what defines a really active user. Not just so that they can take that and say, job done, but they, so they can t- take that information and go, right, I, I'm starting to understand what my map looks like. Now I need to actually understand what the cities and the street view is, if you're going to carry that analogy on. And I, I think that um, for us, the clients that are going down that road and are joining the direct-to-consumer discussion, who are going, well, I used to rely on big broadcasters to do this for me. And you know they would buy my product. And that was great, because I got a lot of money. They bought my product and it was their problem to get in front of the audiences and monetize this. And um, now I'm taking that on board because I think I can do a better job, the world's moved on and we can engage about our own. It's more important for us to get that relationship. It's it's the people who are going down that journey right now who are saying, well, how do I learn who my users are? And um, I think there are a few, few clients now that are starting to do this and, and starting to understand it. And, and I, I'll just finish off by saying that it's Alex's point: It's not just about a great. I've got a report that says I know this. Mm. Um, you have to then have the tools in your arsenal to drive an action on a momentary basis, because otherwise, you're not going to get that impact, and you're not going to see the bump in the numbers that you need to, and to build those relationships. Because, as we know, we're a very social, uh, um, you know, social group, uh, or, or, or um, you know, we we. We, we bat ideas off, we like to engage with people, we rely on those sorts of um, you know, social engagements. That's why last this, last year has been very difficult for society in many ways. It's important that brands support that and continue that dialogue and discussion. And I'm afraid it has to go beyond a monthly email saying, hi, this is what I've done last month. It, it's gotta be an active relationship on, on base person-by-person basis. Mm.
0: I, and so, Alex, can you give us some examples of what you guys have done in order to to achieve that? I know that you've got a great um, partnership, tech partnership with IBM, who provide a lot of stats, but also go way beyond that. Um, it'd be great to get a flavour of how you approach it and some successes from the Wimbledon perspective on personalization and engagement.
1: I can try. Uh, so, I think I think what we've done to date has very much being to next point laying some foundations and, and sort of working out what we what we do know and what we don't know but also fundamentally working out what you can either interpret it as what problem we're trying to solve or what value we're trying to add hmm. so and, and and what I'm about to say is is very much in development rather than something that we've proven um, but it's something that, that we're hoping to begin proving for 2021 and 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 then beyond so the the challenge that that tennis has um uh, i sort of touched on it already is is an understanding of who to follow that varies tremendously depending on how engaged you are in in the sport um and so we see it and this sort of speaks to, to nick's point as well we don't just see it as our broadcaster's job to bring in the audience we see it as our job to bring in the audience and hopefully by doing it together we will create a a stronger appetite for for wimbledon and therefore more value in the long term for both of us rather than them doing their thing and, and we doing our thing so if if the action that we're trying to drive is following following players And the value that we're trying to provide back to our fans is know who to follow. We're trying to create a level of understanding to to Nick's point on an individual basis. So anyone has got the ability within the Wimbledon platforms to favourite a player. And if you favourite a player, you get a certain amount of value back. You get personalised content about that player. You get highlights, reels. You get uh, alerts on how they're doing we're making it efficient and easy to follow that player. We strip out all the noise of all the other players.
0: Is that within Um, Wimbledon or is it across the entire season?
1: This is just for the championships, but you can see how it could be extended to Mm. across the whole of tennis. Um, And so when we then say, well, how do we recommend players for you to follow? How can we be a little bit more intuitive and sophisticated rather than just saying, a plus b equals c um you follow federer therefore let's recommend you other swiss players we're trying to get to the nub of why is it that you follow federer is it because and this is back to nick's point where the segmentation is a helpful input but it's not the answer is it because you love his clothes is it because you love the fact he's a family man and he's got these two amazing sets of twins Is it because you think he's got the most amazing forehand? And use that information to then say, well, you may not know, back to that idea of surprising, that Federer actually studied at this academy where this other player, who's a 21-year-old American, also studied. Why not take an interest in him? Or you may not know, or we understand that you went to high school at this school in um East Germany uh, and so did these players so it's working out all these different reasons why a list of players are, are relevant providing that in a way that's easy and digestible so that you've you're not making it really really hard and then giving value back i.e. making making you feel more knowledgeable and more immersed in in the success or failure of that player and you know all of the the kind of um, prevailing views in in sport are are that you know athletes are driving the conversation. So you're then tapping into that um, you know all of that energy and buzz and excitement, that kind of celeb feeling. So if if we if we can get this right and and connect with people on an individual level about the players that they're interested in, to help them work out other players that they know they're interested in, we're helping make more players famous. Mm -hmm. we're helping create more personal connections with the sport and hopefully we're then driving following fandom audience and value
0: that's a that's a really interesting um approach and it's one that kind of goes to the heart of the tension but also potential benefit between a rights holder and let's say the performer right so how does the Premier League interact with the clubs and how do they then interact with the athletes themselves, the footballers? How does Wimbledon interact with the ATP and the uh, players themselves? Where where is that value um, lie and how can you benefit? Because as fans, we tend to follow the human, right? It's, it's, it's where the passions lie. But then you can create a brand out of that Wimbledon being a perfect example, strawberries and cream, Murray, Murray mound or Henman Hill, all of, all of the history of it. Right. Um, so I'd like to spend just a little bit of time unpicking that and talking about how can you build value as, uh, as, as, a, as an ecosystem um, and where that has been done uh, particularly well, you know, Nick, you were talking about, you um, Glastonbury, Glastonbury is the same thing. Glastonbury is an icon in the festival world, but you still watch Glastonbury for the performances and the artists, right? So, how how can that be wrapped up in the in in the best way, Nick?
2: Um, I think it's yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. You know, people don't people watch or engage with this this content and these stories because they love the story um, and they love the. Um, the excitement of what's happening on the pitch or on the stage um, or on the court it's not um, yeah, it, it's not because it's not often because it's the only thing on BBC at that time That's not <laughs> the driving bit sometimes sometimes it is but nine times out of ten it's not um, and you're absolutely right and it, it, again it keep, for me it keeps talking back to that original point about what is personalization. Mm it's about making that story relevant for that individual, that fan, that uh, guest, that user at that moment in time. And the other thing I would add to this um, is obviously the physical context of that person when they're engaging. So I might love tennis, but if I'm at work, unfortunately in my hierarchy, that takes priority. And I do think there is also to go into it. where am I at that moment in my lifetime, in my lifestyle, in my day. You know, it might be fantastic that this is going on. You know, we're working with, with a golf brand um, uh, who have similar, uh, you know, tournament-based um, golf um, happens all around the world. It's very easy to think of sport taking place at a time that's convenient for me, um, obviously living in England uh, when Wimbledon's on, it suits me that, you know, it's over the weekend, the weekend at the right time of day. That's not the case if you're outside of the UK and golf is a really good example where it takes place over the weekend, um, often in the US. And if you're an Asian fan of it, which is obviously a vast, vast number of them, the timers don't work at all. Mm. So you're playing to catch up. And if you're playing catch up, then you're playing catch up alongside the rest of your day. So having identified that favorite player and created that strong relationship, goes back to that earlier point of making sure that they know it's available for them, know it's a go-to place, and I can present it to you in an accessible format. So if I'm cycling to work, audio is a great format for me. If that's my moment that I can engage with it, so I identify that on an individual basis, just having that clip ready is again a really, really good attribute, but it's again part of the story, not all of
0: it. And are we risking getting to a point where Uh, You know, you talked about it. Big tech companies know so much about us. You know, everybody else is starting to to learn more about us. Um, What do rights holders need to be bearing in mind when they do personalization, when they dive into this deep, deep of detail um, in order not to experience a backlash um, and, and not to experience people going, do you know what? I'm out. You know, people jumping from WhatsApp yeah. to Signal for no apparent reason, at least in the EU. But, mm. you know, people are doing it because there's this kickback against data and personalization and, and, and people knowing too much. So, Alex, is this something that you guys have struggled with and, and how are you adjusting for that?
1: Um, I think it's a really, really good point and something that, um, you know, data is the future and all that organizations have to be um, aware about and thinking about every single day. And, how you how you embrace it says a lot about who you are as an organisation, um, and 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 about your values. So it it has always been our approach, and and will continue to be that the reason for doing this is for the guest. It's not for us. There there is a a, a byproduct for us, which is you know strong, healthy relationships with our guests. You know, like like any. Um, consumer entity but, but the reason for learning more about them is for their benefit and to date uh in in the way that we've engaged with our, our guests and, and we've been doing it slowly um has been trying to make sure that that everything is presented with a benefit so when we when we set up my Wimbledon it was about um giving people you know first access to information from us quite old-fashioned admittedly um the, the the next benefit was um moving the application for ticketing which had been um a paper process moving that online and therefore the benefit is you are getting access to that um access to wi-fi access to other things and and this whole content experience you know, give me the content that that is relevant to me and help me discover new content. again, that that is a, a benefit. Um, so it's almost like that's the core message that you repeat to yourself every single day and it's it's the thing that you sense check against um, any any plans or ideas. And we're lucky because we do have such a strong identity and 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 you know, sense of brand purpose. Um, which not every organization is, is, is blessed with. Um, but, but it's something to be, as you say, constantly aware of. And one of the ways is, is to make sure that it's a two-way conversation and that you're continually getting, getting that feedback.
0: Hmm. And I suppose, Nick, to a certain degree, it's also about the kinds of things that you've been talking about, which is uh, you know, making sure that it's relevant, making sure that it's a two-way conversation, but also that it's not intrusive. And that it is at the uh, at the at the right moment, in the right way, on the right platform, um, and that people don't feel that they're being targeted unnecessarily.
2: Absolutely, I think you know Alex has completely hit it on the head. It's about brand values. It, it's about that relationship with your um, audience member, your fan, your um, your guest, and it's about putting their um, their you know position first and foremost, um, and I think the technology um, needs to be designed in a way that does that. And I would argue, I have argued, and I continue to argue that the current approach is not acceptable. That it is a you know it is designed not in the user's best interest, but it's in the industry's best interest, and hence you see the backlash. And you know the WhatsApp example you give is a great great example of. Yeah, it was a total misunderstanding in Europe. The the privacy, you know, I spend a lot of time reading privacy law, but I am not going to comment on it. However, I you know, I, I feel that the um, the way WhatsApp handled it, or Facebook handled it, was a mistake, and it's not a strong brand in that that size. It hasn't got a, a brand value around data protection. It's trying to build one now, but it's very late on that story. Um, and I think the the open dialogue nature is essential. You need to have a technology that provides this phenomenal serendipitous experience that feels comfortable for the individual, which will change from person to person. Some people feel more comfortable with any versus others than less. You need to learn that about the person and temper your message and how you use it appropriately. Needs to be done in a way that's architected from the ground up to be private by design. It's a really important concept in the GDPR. It's private by design. It's not just about ticking some boxes but it's about making sure that everything you're doing is always respecting your guests' user data. Mm. And, and um, if you come at it from that angle, then you can clearly articulate with your fans, your guests, your users, why you're doing something, how you're doing it, how it's protecting them, yet giving them this great experience. We love tech, we love technology as a society. Um, that's not scary to us. What's scary is when you get given a black box but you don't know what it does and then you can make rumours around it. Mm. If we explain how something works, we're very comfortable with it and we love it and we, we adopt it really well. Um, and uh, particularly if it gives us really, really good uh, good benefits. Mm. So I don't think it's something to be scared of. I think it's something to be very well respected. I think it's something to be you know con- continually looked at. Um, and it, it, is, it is a continual process. And it's, it's not one of the things you can drop in and leave. It is something that you're going to have to continually go back to.
0: Mm. So personalization is about ensuring that you provide the guests with the best experience possible from your product, property, whatever That's it true. might be. Bearing all of that in mind, uh, we'll wrap up with, with this question. And uh, I'll, I'll throw it to Alex first and then and then to Nick. Present company excluded and, and, and I say present company because without wanting to bro- blow the proverbial smoke've uh, I've been very impressed with what Wimbledon has done especially off of a two uh, two week tournament to stay relevant for 365 days a year. so congratulations on that but present company excluded who does this very well specifically in the sports uh, in the sports arena who have you seen and kind of gone oh yes that that works
1: Oh. You threw me when you said sport. Um, It can
0: be the wider sports family. Okay, I'll go first. How's that? Okay. You go first, yeah. Nike. I am a freaking sucker for everything that Nike does. I'm a member of the Nike Training Club, Nike by you. I spend hours on that trying to personalize sneakers and things like that. And I can tell that the algorithms are learning and serving me up stuff. And I don't care because I love it because it's really good and I'm getting a lot, of good, a lot of good value out of it. So I know that I'm sort of veering, I mean, it's sports. It's not strictly a rights holder, but I, I am deeply impressed by, by what they've done and especially the way that they have pivoted around COVID-19 and the closure of their stores and the lack for a certain period of, of, um, of, of live sports, which is another way that they get huge brand exposure. Um, you know, they've, they've been very, very, uh, skillful at, um, using what data they have and engaging with the audience that they do have in order to get the most out of them, but also like we've been talking about providing the right benefits and the right instigations for a lazy dude, like me to get off my bum and do some workouts, uh, you know, four times a week. So that's, that's my answer. Alex. Alex. But
1: that's a, a, a great way to open up and, and actually one of the things I would say um, it, it's very difficult it has we found we've really struggled to look at properties and say we want to do what they do because mm-hmm. everyone is doing things for slightly different reasons and you know the retail industry provides a tremendous example of, of personalization um, but ultimately it's all based around buying a product whereas we're not yes that is one of the things that we do. But it's not the not the primary thing, not the primary thing that we're after. Um, and so, to give a different example, and I have to admit, I don't I don't know what's under the hood of their their technology stack and how exactly they go about it. But I think the, the premise is interesting. Is uh, is the athletic, um, which mm. you know, for those of you who don't know, is a relatively new media brand in sports, and it's all based around local fandom. It's mm. based around providing content that speaks to you um, based on the, the teams or leagues or clubs that you are particularly passionate about, not giving you a, a kind of generic sanitised view or, or just the view of, of, the, of the big guns. Um, and it, it's, as far as I can tell, they're having a lot of success um, with this approach, which I think is you know, something that's very relevant for individual clubs and in how they mm-hmm. speak to their audiences. Um, but also, you know, uh, different types of events and, and properties like us. Mm.
0: And the interesting example with them also is about the focus on different kind of content. It's 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 not just about the news. It's about longer form. It's about things that actually engage with with somebody who wants to dive deeper. And therefore, that that personalization is actually really important in order for that content to find the right home, uh, which is uh, which is a, a good challenge, Nick.
2: I'm going a slightly different track on this one because um, I've got three very random examples. Um, one from a tech point of view that I think is really interesting is Peloton. Um, I think oh. that they are, I, if I'm going to be honest, I don't particularly like their approach. I still think it's a, it's a traditional approach to to data collection and how they're doing it. However, there's a strong argument we've made that they, they're the broadcaster that's won the pandemic because they created a physical contextual brand, get out and go for a run, get on a bike. But actually they sell content. It's about buying classes and they create a very strong brand around the classes. I know mean, they're, they're an interesting one who um it's a it's a small demographic. First of all you've got to be a Peloton subscriber and then you you know you've got this particular activity you want to do. So it's not broad, which is why it's a slightly different one. A really narrow example I've come across since Christmas that um, is such a traditional uh, Radio Clyde up in Glasgow. Um, There's a program that they've got um, for football commentary um, on a Monday night, that is just doing fantastically well. And it's it's a manual way of doing it, but they've got a strong, strong digital footprint. They are using the platforms really well and we can see it in the stats. And it's a, small old school way of doing it but they're doing well um i think that's an interesting one people in glasgow are loving it
0: what's the program called
2: i can't remember it's dan somebody the d it's just at six o'clock on a monday night um and it's just um i mean you've never heard of me but uh it's an interesting (laughs) one that they just showed it it's it's doing doing well um and i think I've got to give a small shout out to, to my my old uh, my old Lord and Master at the BBC where they are working so hard and investing so much money in trying to create the future of personalization in the right approach that you've got to feel there's some interesting stuff coming out of there soon. Um, I know that what we're doing does align with none of the stuff they've published and where, and where they are, but I do think that um, there will be some interesting stuff coming out soon. Um but it's so young. This is such an infant of of, of a concept um, for the industry that is evolving at such a rate of knots that I think if you ask me the same question in six months' time, I, I hope to be able to give you five or six other really good examples of where people have got to. Then,
0: well, hopefully we can do this again soon in six six or so months and uh, see how <laughs> the industry has moved along. For now. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to our podcast, uh, wherever you subscribe to podcasts, the Sportsloft podcast, and visit our website, sportsloft.co, and subscribe to our newsletter for more information and insights from where tech meets uh, sports and entertainment. All that remains for me to do is to thank our two guests. Alexandra Willis, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Nick Pinks, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And look forward, to, uh, look forward to hearing from all of you in uh, the next Sports Love Podcast. Thanks and bye.